fresh and Welcome back to another episode of Fresh and Buds. I'm your host, Tommy Fresh, and you are all of my buds as per usual. And today we are joined by a wonderful bud uh, who many of you might know. And if you don't know, you're about to know. Uh, it is Mr. DM Armada, a.k.a. Stephen Cookus. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. I am uh, glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to hanging out and just, uh, you know, talking flesh and blood or whatever else you want to ask me. Yeah, no, it's good. We have a good show for you all to to tune into today, and, and it's going to be a blast. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun. But before we get to that, I want to give a shout out to the Patreon, <clears throat> which helps keep the uh, mics hot, the lights on. Uh, you can find the show notes. You get some uh, nice little bonuses in there and whatnot. I was I was able to get a content creator appreciation kit in Baltimore, uh, which was very cool. So uh, the patrons can expect some goodies from that. And then also I'm doing a giveaway on Twitter, which you all can find on my Twitter at FreshBudsPod, where I'm trying to give away some of these awesome promos, uh, which is, is very cool. Uh, very happy to be a part of that. And shout out to Alex, um, who, who hooked, hooked the Fresh and Buds community out. Um, I heard that also being a Fresh and Bud patron entitles you to two promos. Did you hear that? Two promos. So anyone that's like signs up today yeah. gains two promos. Yeah. Well, no, well, I just ended up like I just started like a, 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 a glut of people like storming your doors down. Yeah. You're welcome. While You're supplies welcome. last. While supplies, while, last. While supplies last. There it is. That's the oh man. That's the ticket. <laughs> uh, but uh, but besides that. Uh, I want to shout out to YouTube, uh, trying to get the uh, subscriber count up at 500 subscribers. I'm doing my full adult Levia cosplay, which could be a blast. And uh, my co-host on the Bud Rush Bellow, Gary, will be playing the dead rabbit uh, that Levia had to kill. So that should be a uh, a ton of fun. And um, we also want to shout out Greg, our producer, uh, who was on the show last week, and it was a blast, and we had a lot of great feedback. Hey, Tommy, and welcome, Stephen. Glad that you're able to join the pod for this episode. Excited to hear your thoughts on Lexi and just the rest of the stuff that you guys are going to discuss. Uh, in terms of feedback, Tommy, yeah, I, I got some really nice messages from some of the buds on Discord, and I got some really weird ones. And I don't want to kink shame you or anything, but what was it you were saying you wanted to do to Gary with a pastry? Oh, we're going to have to strap him down one day and just feed him some cookie. Yeah, and tune in for the end of the show. We have uh, uh, just a small um, message from Charmer, a.k.a. Derek Oswalt. And, uh, you know, it should be fun to see him and get, get uh, you know, a little bit of his takes. Uh, now, Stephen, my friend, we got to hang out in Baltimore. It was a, it was a great amount of fun. You know, I, I talked about it on, uh, the other show, butter Spello. got to draft with you after, uh, the Saturday's yeah. events. And that was a ton of fun. And also very generous of you to let us draft the box that you bought, which was cool. Um, did you yeah, have fun I, in Baltimore? That's my favorite. That's my favorite thing to do. Um, I, so if I ever get to go to these events and do commentary, the number one thing that occurs is by the end of it, I'm super gassed, super tired of just like constantly like brain going. Like if you're playing in an event, you know what it feels like to just have a, like just be going all around. Right. And then sometimes we're going all around and then we have to do a segue out of the, you know, match. And then we provide vamp for a while. 
And then after that, sometimes they give us like 60 seconds and we come back and we do another match, right? So at the end of a day of commentary, you end up being really tired. And so my favorite thing to do is not go sit at like a fancy restaurant. It's to like find cheap food, sit somewhere and open a box of flesh and blood because I haven't played an actual game of flesh and blood like all weekend. I've just watched people play great games (laughs) and I'm just there just like twiddling my thumbs behind <laughs> the scenes. And so this is my favorite thing to do is find a bunch of people, uh, have a great time, eat some food, and then like uh, draft a box. Yeah, you know, I can imagine, you know, being in the booth, watching all those games all day. It's almost like you're like the little brother, uh, you know, who, you know, had to wait for the <laughs> controller uh, from your big brother, uh, you know, back in the 90s and, and early 2000s before, you know, it got a little bit more accessible. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get it. You know, want to play some games, open some packs. I mean, what I mean, that's why we love this game and just doing it in general. So um before we get to more flesh and blood, though, I do want to got to get a feel for who you are and kind of your story, right? So you just celebrated the seven-year anniversary of your channel. I did. Yeah, I've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, well, congratulations. That's awesome. I mean, that's thank that's you. Pretty cool. Um, so, what? Well, first of all, why the name DM Armada, and then sure. when did you decide uh, to start doing YouTube content? Uh, so I decided that I was going to start YouTube because I fell in love with my first true card game. I had played Pokemon. I had played um, Yu-Gi-Oh. I had played... I'd actually dabbled in Magic the Gathering. Never paper. Um, I actually... They used to make these old Steam games. Uh, Magic the Gathering had some like Steam games that you could actually buy and just play like with the bots and they were fun. They were fun, right? That was pretty fun, but I never fell in love with any of those games. Like I collected Pokemon. I played, uh, I played uh, Yu-Gi-Oh at the lunch table by the anime rules, basically meaning that you could do whatever you wanted if you could explain <laughs> it. And that was awesome, but it wasn't like a true card game experience. And then of course, Magic the Gathering was literally just playing a computer uh, against a computer. So it didn't really feel like a trading card game, but I fell in love with my first card game. Uh, when my one of my friends introduced it to me at a uh, at a game a board game night, um, and it was a game called Dice Masters, still around today. Fantastic card and dice game, uh, incredible depth and strategy, and I I was just enamored by it. I, I loved everything about it. I loved uh, the collectability. I loved the um, the feeling of opening packs, and I loved uh, of course the strategy involved in it. And, and I think the biggest thing that I loved was the community of people around it. And that was the part that I really um, was taken by. I loved that there were people that were invested both in the game, but also in each other, like in, within each other's like daily lives. Um, I was floored by the fact that like these people were all from different walks of life. They had different um, ideologies. They had different um, demographics. There were different belief systems. And uh, yet, in spite of all of those things that society would normally deem uh, as uh, divisive, uh, you know, items like things that should divide us. Uh, all of those people were sort of rallied under the same banner or the same flag. And that was in this case, Dice Masters. Uh, and I thought that was beautiful and poetic. And uh, I wanted to give back to that community. And I thought the best way to do that would be to leverage some of the very small fleeting skills I had in uh, 
in presentation. I was a teacher. I am a teacher. And so I kind of know how to talk to people and I know how to talk to, to crowds. And so I have a little bit of that. Um, and then some video editing that I learned all through middle and high school just for fun. I was not good at it. I'm probably still not very good at it, but I uh, learned over time how to kind of put it all together. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to maybe try to start some YouTube content. There was like next to none of it in the space at the time um, for that game. And uh, I really wanted uh, there to be something to watch because I wanted to watch stuff for that game. And um, if no one else was going to do it, I might as well make my own stuff and then watch my stuff back while I edited it. So that is what I did. Uh, and the reason, well, first of all, the reason for the name was because uh, DM stands for Dice Masters and our motto was exactly for the reason I told you why I fell in love with the community was that it was a group of people that shouldn't necessarily fit together or perhaps could fit together. But when you look at them as individuals, they are all individuals, but when they sail together, they fall under the same banner. And it was uh, something that I thought a lot about, like why I cared about community, why I cared about, um, you know, that that sort of very beautiful thing and uh, why that it really impacted me and how I could encapsulate that in a name. So I thought about the Spanish Armada and the Armada is, uh, was was the most feared fleet um, of, you know, Navy in uh, in the known world at the time. And it was uh, made up of a bunch of ships, all different types of ships, uh, and they were all uh, manned by different crews that had different experiences, but they all flew under the same flag. And it was because they flew under the same flag with the same purpose and the same goals uh, that they were so successful for so long. And I thought that was cool. So I picked that as a name. Well, and that's kind of how it began. <laughs> it's certainly a, certainly an awesome name. Now, obviously, uh, a lot of that comes from Dice Masters, right? You know, the, the origin of the name, but we're, you know, very much flesh and blood focused now. Um, and also I could definitely, I mean, I knew you were a teacher, but you can tell you're a teacher, uh, just, you know, you just taught us, um, all about the Spanish Armada, which was very cool. Thank you. Boom. That one, Nailed it. that one, that one's free buds. Uh, yeah, just don't go, just don't go down the path of what happened to the Spanish Armada any further. Just, just stop at the story and it's really cool. Don't, don't get to the part where they actually fought against the British. No, don't, don't mind that. Yeah. Uh, now, so you did um, not start with Flesh and Blood, right? No. Obviously, because yeah. it was seven years ago. Flesh and Blood is not that mm -hmm. old. Um, did you plan to do other games? Because I know you have done other games since Dice Masters. Yes. So you had always wanted to kind of do variety? No. No, I started under the premise that I was going to create content for Dice Masters. And I had no qualms or no uh, visions of grandeur. I had no like... Um, you know, I, one day I'm going to hit 100,000 subscribers and this is going to be my job. That was never on the agenda. In fact, I still to this day remember the day I hit 500 subscribers and went, holy crap, I could actually find a thousand people to press a button. That's more people than I than go to the school I teach at at the time. I thought that I was like, that's insane. Um, and uh, when the, the day came where I hit a thousand subscribers, I was floored. I was like, you know what? Literally a thousand subscribers was like one of my end all be all goals at the time. And uh, I started YouTube for the reasons I described, but also because I, before I started YouTube, uh, I was a, I was a big dreamer. I was someone who loved to have big ideas and like think up these really grandiose, really cool, possibly like very influential things. 
And then when it came time to start said thing and try to accomplish it, I would give up very easily, very quickly. Uh, when something was like a little bit too complex and I just didn't feel like figuring it out, I would just bail on it. And I hated that about myself. I, I hated that that was one of my uh, sort of, uh, I don't know, personality traits. And so I said, not only am I going to make uh, videos, but I'm just going to keep making videos because I'm, I'm tired of starting something and giving up on it. So I'm just going to keep making videos. I don't know how long I'm going to make videos for, but I'm going to keep making videos. Um, and I started to give myself like numbers. I was like, okay, when I hit a thousand subscribers, I feel like I can hang the hat up. I've accomplished, you know, what I set out to do. I didn't give up when something was tough. And then that kind of went away for a while because I, I got in the nitty gritty of actually doing it. And I started to realize, well, I don't, I don't actually care about stopping anymore. I've done it for so much. And like, this has become such a habit that this is my hobby. Uh, and so eventually, like, the, the numbers fell by the wayside. But yeah, that is the reason that I started the channel. Um, and it was always intended to just be about Dice Masters until about a year and a half to two years in. Um, I started, like, so I was still playing Dice Masters. The, the scene where I was was still going well. And uh, I started with my friends at the local game store that I was playing at uh, talking about some other games that were out at the time. I picked up Star Wars Destiny with a good friend of mine at the time, and uh, we, we both got really hooked on that. We bought a lot of boxes, bought a lot of product. We played it a ton. Um, I eventually moved off that game, and weirdly enough, he did for a, a different reason, just moved off that game in general. And uh, then we started hearing about Key Forge, and I moved up to the Dallas area, and um, uh, picked up Keyforge. And as I picked up Keyforge, I started to think to myself, you know, the same community feeling that I originally fell in love with with Dice Masters is sort of in a variety of these games that people are playing. Now, I will say this. I still, to this day, think Dice Masters probably has one of the best communities I've ever been a part of. I don't know. It, to me, it rivals Flesh and Blood's like wholesomeness. Uh, if you know anybody in the uh, Flesh and Blood community, uh, for for the most part, from everyone that I've experienced, they're incredibly wholesome people, uh, wonderful people to be in. And the same can be said of Dice Masters still to this day. Uh, and I started to realize, you know, that exists in all of these other games, and I enjoy playing these other games too. I wonder if it would be disingenuous to the people that started watching this stuff with Dice Masters uh, to start covering other games. And, I, and so I did a couple of like feeler things. I, I put out some videos about like a couple of other games and I started with Keyforge as one of them and uh, just put out Keyforge content because I, I was really hooked on that game. And so I, there's you can actually find it right now. You can go down into um, my channel and you can go to the Keyforge playlist and there's literally me from the pandemic and right before the pandemic just playing um uh, Keyforge on their online client, fan-made client, and uh, I was pretty decent at that game. I, I was pretty good. I could go to locals and, and win buy -a box tournaments and things like that, so um, I played that a ton, and then that, like, allowed me to feel open enough to sort of try games on the channel, and one of those games ended up being Flesh and Blood, um, which is funny because if you would like to, you can also go back and uh, look at the exact release date of Flesh and Blood, and go one day later and see the first video that I put out on the game. Kind of funny. Yeah, well, you you had a beat on it there, fellow. <laughs> you know, you you knew and and you know you mentioned that you're good at 
you were, you know, quite good at keyboard. I mean, you're certainly a, a great flesh and blood player. I mean, hell, uh, was it finals of uh, the Goliath Gauntlet, right? Uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of lucked into that one, but you know what? I'll take the luck where you have. I mean, you have to take some luck, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's a card game. There's variance, and sometimes the you know the the rolls go go in our favor. I mean, I, I'm a big brute player, so I obviously I pray for those rolls. But <laughs> um, now. <clears throat> Uh, what are some key moments? Because, like you said, day release of Flesh and Blood day after you mm-hmm. have a video. You've been with this game basically forever in terms of the game. What were some key moments you've observed in the uh, game's lifespan so far? Because you know, from day one to now is like crazy in terms of how much growth mm-hmm. the game has had. That's a good question. Um... Some of the moments that stick out to me the most uh, are seeing the first video that Rudy put out on his channel about Flesh and Blood. Because I was I was into the game, obviously, on day one I bought in. Um, and I no one, and he, he mentioned this at uh, Pro Tour. He said this to multiple people, to me as well, uh, that no one saw this coming. Like, no one thought Flesh and Blood would be what it is right now. Like, period. And I don't think anyone, like he even said, look, even James didn't think that none of us thought this. And and he was, he, he'd been talking with James at the time of the release and after, and they all kind of were just, you know, blown away by the reception of the game. And rightfully so. I think, I think the, uh, rece- the, the game was received incredibly well and to go through a pandemic and to, to kind of come out on the other side stronger for it is pretty insane. Um, but yeah, I think that moment was the first like, oh my gosh, this could be a thing. If it's being mentioned in any way, shape or form on um, that large of a channel and also being like talked about in a positive way, that's a really good sign. Uh, and then the, <laughs> the, the first time and then the second time that the prices spiked, the first time and the second time that WTR alpha prices spiked. I still to this day remember thinking to myself, man, I should I should buy like a couple of boxes. I should buy a couple of alpha boxes. And then I thought, oh, man, they're like 200 bucks. I can't afford that. I'm on a teacher's salary. I literally have a budget that I give myself on like fun money, spending money. And I was like, okay, so I could I could kind of go crazy. I could open up a credit card and I could pick up a case of alpha. But that's like a thousand dollars. I can't do that. A case of alpha—that's too—that's not worth it. Like at this moment, I probably should be more judicious with my money. Still think about that moment to this day because I, I did not pull the trigger on it. Um, and then after that, I uh, I actually traded um, some flesh and blood to a good friend of mine for the only alpha box that I own, and it's behind me. It's over there. Um, I traded a couple of things that. Uh, at the time, we were pretty cool for that alpha box. And uh, at the time, I was like, hey, man, this this trade is like really favorable for me. And he was like, hey, don't worry about it. This is this is like me paying it towards your channel. I was like, sweet. I mean, that, that alpha box is like three hundred dollars. So I guess I'm getting a pretty decent deal. And uh, it's a little bit more than three hundred dollars now. <laughs> Just, Just a pinch. A- just a bit now i mean that's i mean the 200 alpha box is just kind of blowing me away a little bit but that is okay i'm sorry that you didn't get any but you do have one and that's all that matters i do realize and i don't want this to be taken the wrong way that up till now the the main big like memorable moments are when the game exploded in popularity and price but for me 
the biggest and most memorable moment was showing up to um, the calling uh, Las Vegas, the first calling that was ever released. And um, getting to sit down with an like over a thousand person um, event and looking around in that field of people and going, this is actually happening post pandemic. This is actually happening. There are people here in droves. I like at that event, I met people that I had been watching like stream on YouTube in no way, shape or form related to the game of flesh and blood at all. Literally like Hearthstone players. I was there like talking to a Hearthstone player that I legit watched like almost every day. And I was just like, what is this world? We're all brought together because this game is really cool. Are you kidding me? This is amazing. This game is succeeding and I'm getting to play it with all of these wonderful people and meet these fantastic people. That was probably the watershed moment for me for the uh, for the game itself because that was uh, the first opportunity for all of us to see, I guess, the fruits of uh, LSS's labor. There's a lot of memorable moments, man. When you've been in the game since it started, there's a lot of ups and downs. The monarch moments, the... Uh, the big explosive moments, the the question mark moments, the print run question moments. I mean, like we could talk at length just about uh, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. I mean, it's been a roller coaster, that's for sure. But you know, despite uh, that, it's still fun, right? So it has know, been a blast. It's been a blast. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're we're going to continue to ride that roller coaster. Um, but let's flash forward to now. You've been doing coverage for a bit now, right? Uh, you just did coverage uh, in Baltimore. You did a great job. It was awesome. Went, went back, Thank watched you. some VODs. Um, now, uh, is this something you'd like to continue to do, or do you long to be out there playing? No, I'm, a, I'm in love with coverage. I've always been in love with coverage. This is like if I had my druthers, uh, to use the Southern term, I would always pick coverage. And I, it's a hard pick for me. It's not something that I would... Uh, it's not something that I would say I don't mull over constantly, but it is something that I think I would pick 10 times out of 10. Uh, because for me, this is how I feel most useful. It's how I feel like I provide the most for people. And um, being a, a dad and a, a husband, and uh, I just, I feel like to me, in order to make sense of all of this, I feel like I have to be useful to people in some way, shape, or form. Um, and for this community, I want to be useful and I want to be, uh, I don't know, entertaining, uh, educational, both in any way, shape or form that I can for uh, people that need it. Uh, and so the, every time I do coverage, I come away going, yeah, this was the right choice. Um, it doesn't matter about like the length of time that we end up working or anything like that. Uh, because to me, it's like, this is an opportunity for someone out there to get exposed to this game or to experience a really exciting moment, and hopefully I helped facilitate that in some way, shape, or form. Uh, that is literally why I get so excited about events. It's, it's to see people and then to provide commentary, and that is, uh, that's the best. Yeah, and and you know you do a great job. We need those positive voices kind of doing it, and 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 we have some great ones yourself, like yeah. uh, among many others at this point. Um, and it it's a it's something that's it's been something that's been pretty consistent, and that's awesome. Now I, I do have to ask: Is there anything you personally would like to see changed, or or even just enhanced with flesh and blood coverage? I'll tell you what. Um, so at Pro Tour Baltimore, they set up a really cool um, like arena style system where you could actually go and stand 
on the outer rim, so to speak, of the uh, playing field. Uh, and you could look down and, and actually see. I would, man, I'll tell you what, I would say take that to the uh, next level. Like literally just rent out a venue, like a small venue, like stadium type thing, and put the main event like in the center of it. Uh, or even just like get bleachers and set up bleachers in like that same space. Just set up bleachers on four sides with like one spot walking through. Uh, I'm a band director. I literally do that stuff for a living, setting up chairs every day. <laughs> I would set up chairs if they wanted that. But that would make the uh, viewing experience so like electric. It would be so exciting to like sit down in a venue like that and watch people play at the highest level. I think that plus just the general, like, I don't know, taking things to the full next level, like technology right now is to a point where we could do so many crazy things with coverage, uh, with cameras everywhere, with cameras in like the arsenal slot. We could have like, um, cameras like for the hand obviously we have hand cams face cams. Um, we could have very easy, like bounce back and forth with, um, with like bounce to the booth, talk there, bounce to the floor, you know, Tannen interviewing someone. That would be so cool. I think like the infrastructure is possible. It's just a matter of cost. And yes, uh, I'm sure LSS could probably foot the bill, but it always comes down to like where is the where's the best and most effective use of your money, um, and and what is the what is the payoff for really going for broke on those types of things, you know? Yeah, absolutely, and. Gosh, the Arsenal slot cam would be just so cool, right? I've, 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 been, be. I've been saying that since, like, I started watching. I was like, wow, this is great that we get awesome coverage, but, like, what's on, what's under there, you know? Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a lot of speculation, as you know, when, you, when you're in the booth. You're like, I think it's that, but, you know, you can't really tell. And, uh, obviously, Arsenal camera would be just so sweet. I agree. I think sometimes, though, it's actually kind of more fun not to know because then you can talk about what they might be thinking and why they might be making the uh, play. And you can say, well, you know, maybe they have maybe they have a D react in the arsenal. Maybe they're sitting on a defense reaction. And that's the reason why they did this, this and this. And all of a sudden there you have a storyline that now you can cover over the course of the next two or three turn cycles until you figure out what that arsenal is. And then when the payoff happens and it's a D-react in Arsenal, you're like, it was. And then everyone <laughs> feels that endorphin rush of like, there's the storyline and there's the end beat. And that's really exciting in and of itself. Yeah, I guess in a way you're kind of presenting the point of view of the opponent in, in a way, right? Because they get to also be thinking about, oh, why why are they doing yeah. this? And then also, boom, uh, I knew it. They had the stupid D-Rack, you know, whatever. <laughs> so Yeah. No, I see. Here's the thing about commentary, too. I think there's a lot of people out there that do commentary that, like, um, and this is just, I've seen a lot of other games do this, particularly. There's a lot of this in other games because it is very easy um, in other games comparatively to uh, Flesh and Blood. Uh, to do this type of commentary where you basically you watch a play and then you analyze back their play. You're like, no, they should have done this instead of that because then this would have been optimal. I hate that style of commentary. Mm. Um, I, if that is ever asked um, as like professional commentators, I would uh, I would be hard pressed to fulfill that request because to me, I feel like that's belittling to the players. Uh, who are in their spot for a reason and who have earned their right to play on like the pro tour stage. Uh, because they know what they're doing. Um, they, if they make a mistake, it's probably the only mistake they make like all tournament. You know what I mean? Like 
So for me to try and analyze whether or not their play was optimal is the wrong take. I think the right take and the most exciting take and the most illuminating take is when we try to extrapolate from their choices where their thinking is and what their game plan and their strategy is because then you can follow that like a story. And at the end of that story, everybody gets some sort of fulfillment, whether or not they uh, actually pan out or not. I like that style of commentary. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good rule to stand by because I've had even matches that have been streamed or whatever. I went back and listened to the commentary and then they say about my mistakes. I'm like, I know. <laughs> I know I did that. So, uh, no, that's a, that's a great point. Now, Stephen, uh, I want to get into some flesh and blood you know, stuff right now. So first, I always like to Go do ahead. fresh faves. I want to ask you your favorite of each thing, your hero, weapon, equipment, and then like your run-of-the-mill card that goes in. So first, okay. Steven, who is your favorite hero? Um, so I've struggled with this question for all of the years that I've been in the game because to me, they're all incredibly exciting because they all play so differently. Uh, but I do. I finally picked my favorite hero in uh, Blitz, like over a little over a year ago, and it's Kano. Kano's my favorite hero in Blitz. It's uh, not particularly close. Uh, he is the uh, the number one de facto pick in classic constructed. I don't know if I still have one. Um, yeah, I'm still struggling with classic constructed. I would probably say Dromai's up there, but I think I want to just become a Kano lifer. And just play Kano and everything. So I'm, I'm like currently looking to see if I can piecemeal a bunch of my stuff from my collection to get a cold foil Storm Striders. I don't know if uh, anyone has one of those, but I got to trade for some because uh, I got to I just got to commit, you know, I just got to yeah. commit to the bit. I'll tell you what, though. James White asked me this question in an email like two years ago. Whoa. I hope he's okay with me saying that. <laughs> uh, he asked me that, in a, it, like it was me and some other people that were in the email uh, about a thing that we that we were going to be doing, and um, he asked that question, and I, for the life of me, could not come up with a, a single answer. So I mentioned a couple heroes, and then at the end, I said, "You know what? I feel like because I like so many different heroes, I am just a shapeshifter." So Shiana became my answer, and she's actually my favorite hero to play in UPF. So I, I've got a couple of favorites, and she, by the way absolute bomb in upf super fun oh, to play yeah so so cool and james if you're if you're listening watching we know what you are uh the answer is kano <laughs> so um but uh that moves us to weapon now it'll be interesting if you kind of fall suit here which weapon is your favorite uh, this one i do have a favorite on are you ready yes talishar <laughs> all right talishar best weapon in the game it is the most evocative. You look at that. It's called Talishar the Lost Prince. And you just want, I just want to know everything about that stupid weapon. <laughs> like, okay, is Ta Talishar is the name of the sword, but is, is it like, was it owned by a prince or is it just referred to? Is there something more we need to know about Talishar the Lost Prince? And it's a generic, it's the only generic weapon. Um, it can be played by everyone, which means it's open to everyone. So from a fundamental gameplay perspective, it's like the best weapon because anyone can play True. it. <laughs> Clearly, it's better than all the rest. Don't just forget about the rust counterpart, but it's better than all the other weapons. And it's like it's like so quintessentially me because I want to make random stuff work 
when it probably shouldn't work. So like, okay, sure, I'll try Talishar Dromai. That's a thing, right? No, it's not. It's not a thing. <laughs> Don't not play Talishar Dromai. Unless you unless you have the skills. Yeah. yeah Talishar's my favorite. Yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, once once we find a way to get rid of those rust counters, uh, it's game over for everyone. You know, it's it's uh, Yeah, how could we do that? <laughs> uh that I'm would sure be it's amazing. Coming. Maybe. Um now what is your favorite equipment? Okay, that one is tough. Um, I think my favorite equipment is Metacarpus Node. Okay. And I think the only reason it's my favorite is because uh, I think it was one of the first cold foils I pulled out of uh, Crew, which was my favorite set for the longest time. It's probably still my favorite set. Um, probably, I don't know. Uh, crew. It, it was like the first uh, cold foil Majestic that I pulled. And it is so beautiful in cold foil. Stinking beautiful. Yeah. So it's either that or it's like um, Carrion Husk because I got to spoil that one. Oh, yeah. Carrion Husk. I mean, I, you know, Metacarpus know. knows we've never gotten answered on the show before, as, as, as far as I can remember. Um, so that's very cool. But I'm also a Carrion Husk stan. What's the most answered? Uh, equipment, do you think? For equipment? Snapdragon scalers? No, I think we get a lot that was of close second. Carrion husk. Uh, we get a lot of blade. Um, oh god, um, courage of blade hold. Blade hold. That's uh, a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, anything mm. that kind of helps combos and stuff like that. We've gotten uh, a decent. I mean, final spring tune. It comes up every once in a while, though. It's a little basic, mm-hmm. um, you know. But carrion husk definitely gets answered quite a bit, um, you know, and and storm striders actually as well storm is good now nah, windmill slammed me that metacarpus node it's just so fun yeah it's a fun card it's uh it's awesome uh and what is your favorite run of the mill card your attack action card your non-attack action card your instance the stuff you put in your deck hmm ravenous rabble maybe okay ravenous rabble e-strike feels like a cop-out answer sorry if anyone's answered e-strike before <laughs> this but to me i feel like if i say that it's just like Cool. It's like when you go to Sunday school and you just like you you zone out and then like someone asks you a question and you're just like, Jesus, because like that's probably the answer. But no, it's like. Uh, yeah, no, I'd probably go with ravenous rabble just feels good. Just feels good to play that and hit the four. Yeah, yeah that's a good feeling right there. Oh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm loving this kind of theme. You start off with Kano and then you're like, well, Talishar and ravenous rabble. I'm like, you're a man of the people. Uh, do you see? Do you see what I mean? Like, I can't pick heroes. <laughs> I can't pick a favorite hero. So you know what? Now I'm like on on Talishar lately. I've been playing uh, Surgeant Aether Tide Kano because I get to play like attack actions in the deck as well as like uh, wizard stuff. And so now I'm getting like a nice little mix of both worlds. I think that's awesome, and I love that. So <laughs> you should play it. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Deck tech out sometime soon. I don't know. Sometime that's soon. A good deck. Check it out. Maybe by the time this episode's out, who knows? Check out his channel, which I'm sure you all will. Uh, now I did want to talk to you about one thing about Pro Tour Baltimore. Um, just Go. just like something I think I think I've seen a couple of people talk about it. Right. So. And one thing I've always enjoyed from from your content is is when you kind of delve into some meta analysis, uh, which okay. you obviously have to do a little bit in coverage as well. So, Lexi, right? I think uh, I think we saw a lot of professionals decide, a lot of teams decide. While well, Lexi is the best deck, right? And mm-hmm. and it was clear by the numbers um, for both the Pro Tour and the Calling, right? 
Lexi was the the best or the most represented hero, maybe by at least 10 or 20 in both. Um, and yeah. maybe even more in the calling. Now, uh, that being said, we did see them in the top eight with four making the top eight in Pro Tour and two making the top eight in the calling. However, they didn't win either of those tournaments. We got an Oldham and a Dash winning. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's something that comes up a lot with the Living Legend system, right? Is, mm-hmm. you know, the, only the winner gets the points and it could be a hero that totally dominated the whole field and didn't get the win, and you still have to deal with this hero. I think we saw it happen. Uh, you mentioned the calling Las Vegas. Uh, Tyler Horsebowl won with Prism, uh, mm-hmm. but that that tournament was littered with chains, right? And yep. it, it, it actually, I don't know if it caused, um, but certainly led to Seeds of Agony getting banned, yada, yada, yada. So <clears throat> I wanted to kind of get your your take on on what happened with Lexi, right? Was it the right call? Was, you know, was it, uh, did, did somebody decide or somebody have the beat on Lexi being so prevalent and decided to kind of use that to their advantage? I think, yes, I think, so there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of sub things that we could talk about within that one sort of question or statement. Um, so first of all, is Lexi the right call in the meta? Uh, yeah, it's it's what it. I would say it's the best aggro deck in the meta. I, I think that is a fair statement. Um, I think uh, as far as aggro decks are concerned, I can't think of one that is technically better across the board than Lexi. Um, I think one of the biggest strengths that Lexi has is that it um, has a decent time into what is perhaps the best overall deck in the meta, and that's Olden. Uh, and I think there were a lot of people that pivoted off of Oldham after playing into a bunch of uh, aggro Lexis and just getting a little bit, I don't want to say rinsed or anything like that, because I don't necessarily think it's that lopsided of a, of a battle. But I also don't think that it's a, a great feels. I, I don't think it feels great from the Oldham perspective. But I would actually say uh, that pound for pound, the, the hero that has been the the most consistent and ridiculous across, you know, the most of the meta that is still around is Oldham. Um, and so going into the uh, Pro Tour, I thought Lexi would be the most represented hero, and I thought Oldham was going to win. Um, and uh, that, I ended up lucking out that that ended up happening, uh, simply because there were four Lexis and only one Oldham. Uh, and I wrote this down. <laughs> Flake sent me a message. He, he was like, hey, a couple of days before this, he was like, hey, uh, send me your top eight. Send me uh, the top two uh, heroes that are going to meet in the finals and then uh, send me who wins. But I think I put down like that there would be uh, two Oldhams, two Lexis and Azalea um, and then like a couple of Dark Horse heroes because I felt like it would be fun to have a couple of Dark Horse heroes in there. Uh, and uh, then I had an Oldham facing off against a Lexi and the Lexi winning. No, no, sorry. And the Oldham winning, I think is how I had it. Um, and... I legit thought that it would pan out close to that. But then when we sat down on the day, I was like, you know what? I was an idiot. Why did I say that? I should have picked the Lexi because I always got to go for the aggro. But I had at the very last moment, I was like, you know what? I've bet against Oldham so many freaking times (laughs) hoping that he would just get them LL points and like that he would move on. And then I thought, oh, maybe he's not good enough. Then people put... So I just went with Oldham, and it turned out to be the case that that was. Uh, but I don't necessarily think that it was. Um, 
I think it, it was a definitely a fortunate break because uh, of the way that that top eight broke down. And I think Lexi very easily had a shot there and a path there to actually pick up the win. I mean, look at look at the way that those games played out and look at how um, Dromai fared against Lexi. And uh, there were there were moments where it looked dicey and then there were moments where like Dromai absolutely like destroyed Lexi's. Uh, but Lexi held her own almost throughout. And so Lexi being the strongest aggro hero just carried a lot of weight and credence, and I think uh, pushed her into that top four. That being said, all of that to say, Oldham picks up the win on the back of just being really, really good and having a very good um, game plan into both of the uh, Dromais. And that's a match that I've played up from both... Uh, both Dromai's perspectives. I've, I've played the control into Oldham and I've played the aggro into Oldham. And uh, yeah, depending on what the Oldham does, that, that matchup can feel very one-sided for both players. It's, it's very much, in my opinion, the way that Oldham plays the matchup out is how it is decided. Because uh, if you know what you're doing as Dromai, you just stick to your single game plan that your deck plays to. And you can either win or lose based on how the Oldham draws and how they uh, play it out. Yeah, and you know... I- that is a great point, especially in the, the breakdown of the top eight. But, you know, and, and, and obviously got to give props to Fang, too, who, who is yeah. just just the he guy. He knew exactly what to do. Yeah. No, he really did. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. He uh, he was very fortuitous, apparently, he said, going through the uh, Swiss, not seeing many um, uh, Lexi and kind of able to dodge that to some degree. And uh, then in the top eight, he did the same similar thing and found both Dromai's. And uh, he showed exactly how to play in those matchups because uh, uh, he's an incredible player and very worthy of not only this, but many other awards that he's both won and been very close to winning. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it is unfortunate, I guess. I don't know if it's unfortunate for Lexi that they that it didn't get the LL points, but certainly was uh, kind of primed to get some, but we didn't see that. So I want to know, hindsight being 2020, what would you have sleeved up for that tournament? Uh, I know you, you mentioned you like Dromai um, and you play a decent amount of Dromai um, and doesn't seem like you have much love for Oldham. <laughs> so uh, would, would Lexi have been the play for you or would, or would you have been, you know, one of those brave Dromai players? No. So what is my... Uh... Put me theoretically on the day and tell me what my goal is. Is my goal to win everything or is my goal to like, um, I don't know, battle the take it like take like a dark horse to as far as I could take it? What, what, what do you want my goal for? Because I'll give you two answers. Well, I want to know both for sure, okay. because but I, I, I have a feeling that you lean towards the dark horse side more often. I do. I, I very much do. My yeah. personality is one that I would much rather play the dark horse deck then I would play just about anything else. So if I'm picking the Dark Horse, I always pick Kano. Kano is like always good. It's always <laughs> good, man. Kano's yeah. always good. Anyone that says Kano's not good, I'm sorry, I disagree with you. It's just a little harder for Kano. It doesn't mean he's bad, just a little harder. Kano always gets there. You can get there, man. I'm just saying. That's what I would take. That's like the Dark Horse deck in every meta, and I just love it. I love him for it. That's why I think I just want to kind of mainline Kano from now on. But uh, no, if I was if I was there, like legit trying to spike, I would uh, I would have brought, brought uh, Agro Dromai because I really do think Agro Dromai feels really good to play into um, a non Rune Blade meta. If I'm playing a non Rune Blade meta, I know how to play that deck into um, Oldham. 
And for the most part, I feel pretty good into Oldham, especially if you build the deck in a specific way. Um, it, it feels very comfortable. Uh, and then if you uh, play into other aggro decks, it also feels quite comfortable. In fact, I was one of my favorite matchups playing um, aggro Dromai was playing against Fi because if if you're doing things correctly on your end, that is a very much a back-to-back -back, like um, bleed life totals down game. And then at the end, you get to play Kadachi Lock, and they don't. And it feels <laughs> wonderful. And sometimes you win, and sometimes you don't win, but all the time it feels great. So I would have taken that deck. Aggro Dromai for the, uh, for the win. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm right there with you. I think the aggro drum, I mean, we saw how well Mara played too. And just like, you know, you see Mara play, you just want to be her, you know, and, and uh, it's, it's awesome. Now, do you think LSS should consider a way to give LL points to that applies to situations like this, you know, where, where it's a large amount of the field or even a large amount of the top eight uh, and doesn't win, right? You know, mm -hmm. I could see it. The question becomes for me, and this is like from a gameplay perspective or from a development perspective, if everyone starts getting LL points, do we rush to a place where we have to immediately supplant or like supplement the um, hero pool because uh, people start rotating too quickly? And if that's also the case, are we like hurting our brand and our audience recognition with their favorite heroes by rotating them out so quickly? Like, for example, look at Prism. Prism hit in Monarch and then was out, um, what, a little after Everfest? Or right before um, the set after that, right? I think uh, the, Pro Tour right before Leo. Outsiders? Or sorry, uh, right before um, uh, Uprising? Yeah. Yeah, so, so that was, what, uh, a little over a year? Yeah, a year So and players half. were able to, yeah, is that right? A year and a half, something maybe. like that? Yeah, maybe in between a year and a half and a year, yeah. Yeah. So players were able to kind of latch on to Prism and become deeply like just in love with that deck, that play style, that hero. And then it rotates out. Right. And I'm sure that's true of, of people with Starvo. I know there's people that love Starvo and really just committed for those two and a half minutes that Starvo was legal. That No, pro probably more Prism. And um, those people now not having Prism in the uh, meta for a while, does that... Is that detrimental, do you think, to the player base that really latches on to that if their hero is introduced and then sort of rotated out because it just got some ancillary living legend point but never really got those tournament wins? You know, so like yeah. I, it's an interesting question and it's one that I would say I probably am good with it being the way it is now rather than starting, you know, like, okay, well, let's to the second place hero, let's give 100 points. Yeah, but what if, uh, you know, what if that hero gets like second, fourth, and eighth place like eight times, you know, in, in 12 like major tournaments and they rotate, never really having finished in the top? Does that feel good to lose that hero? I don't know. I, to me, it doesn't. So yeah. I would probably leave it as is. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there. I think keep these heroes in and, and then that's what the bands and suspensions are for, right? Because if, yeah. if something is so dominant, you kind of throw those into the mix and, and see what happens. Um now we have uh, listener questions come from the Buds Discord where uh, anybody can join so in the links uh, below. It's a good time over there. We, we, you know, chat about all kinds of things and we're all very supportive of each other. It's a very safe space. So anybody I would uh, encourage to join and you get to ask questions like the first one that comes from Kale, a.k.a. Dead Summer Art. 
Uh, I love that guy. Oh, he's the best. Do, you know, do you know him? He's great. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He comes on uh, before every set, and Tales we talk awesome. about lore. It's just, uh, just a blast. And we already talked. He makes about the best lore videos. Oh yeah, just so much fun. Now, and it's got somewhat of a lore question here. Considering that the current pirate theme cards we received in Outsiders are not tied to a pirate class, do you think a pirate hero will simply be a hero from an existing class, but just themed around piracy? And then kind of puts in the note, Rangers seem to kind of fit that aesthetic. Uh, um, do you want my real opinion? Yes. <laughs> my real opinion is we probably don't get a rain, uh, pirate hero. Yeah, That's my real opinion. Is that like uh, pirates are sort of relegated, like you said, to more of a ranger class-esque, that we get an aesthetic of pirates, um, but not actual pirates. Do I want an aesthetic? Sure, I'll, I guess I'll be placated by that, but... I want like a real pirate, man. That would be so cool. Like, just give me all the flavor and then call them a pirate. I don't care if it's like a merchant level type hero. I will still play it in any format that allows me to. Because giving me like the uh, pseudo pirate is like, um, it's like the pirate we have at home. You know, hey, can we have that pirate? No, we have a pirate at home. It's called Ranger and they have a beautiful <laughs> trench and I want to cosplay that trench. But outside of that, <laughs> you're just stuck to arrows. Get over it. Have your like, uh, you know, healthy cereal. Now, what about a pirate uh, talent? Right? Then you Dude, oh, of... come on. If we're going to talk about pirates, we better roll this episode for long because I can talk at length. I will seriously, I'll go get my hat and we'll do this thing. Okay, look, we could do a pirate talent. I would be so in for that. And then give me a pirate like talent pool or heck, even give me a, give me a weapon or a piece of equipment that gives the pirate talent so that I can I can have any hero become a pirate version of that hero. And like somehow it gives them not necessarily an alternate win condition, but an alternate like value engine that allows me to do something interesting with that hero. Come on, who would you make a pirate <laughs> out of all the heroes in the game? Who would you make a pirate? Oh, Reinar, uh, 100%. I mean, a, a brute on a ship sounds amazing now you're saying give <laughs> give them a like uh i'm i mean obviously crown of dominions the closest thing here i've just crown of plunder that's all we need and no no no. don't make it another crown make it like a chest no no, no. make it uh boots no boots? make it a make it a gauntlet no what what's the most piratey thing you can give someone Oh, no, no, like... It's uh, a hat. Crap, yeah, it's a hat. A no, because here's the thing. Okay, it's a pirate hat. I want it to, <laughs> I want it to be a pirate that could also be a royal, because Crown of Dominion's cool. And I get a gold to start off with. Yeah. And that's what pirates want, right? <laughs> yeah. So could we make it boots? Uh, swashbuckler's boots. Could we do that? I think so, right? You, well, what you, if we just give them a saber? Let's just give them a saber and call that, wow. call that the, the pirate. Anyone that runs this weapon uh, gains the pirate uh, wow. talent. And can access pirate cards. That'd be sick. Yeah. LSS, yeah. don't hire me. I have way too many bad ideas. Yeah. It's a bad idea. <laughs> oh, man. Now we're all hopped up on pirate stuff. Next question. Dude, I could talk at length about <laughs> pirates in this game. Oh, yeah. Uh, next question we have from, comes, comes from uh, Radiant Dragoon, who asks, what happens when Japan and other new regions come online? Since uh, 1.0 is, is all out of print, how do we support that region with, but not spike uh, the price of every card? Oh, you mean like get them get them singles or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Kind of like supplement. Well, I mean it. they just print a history pack, right? Yeah, yeah. In their language. They could just print a history pack in their language. They could print it to whatever print run that they did they deem 
necessary, right? Yeah. Plus, it's also putting it in the native uh, language for whoever or whatever country you know onboards. So if you if you print it in a specific language for that country, I feel like you could you could fairly easily kind of you know pump that out there and and get it to new players. I feel like that would be an easy answer. You, you just make like a uh, a black border, you know, Japan. Yeah. Black border Japanese print, um, and then just somehow make so much of it that all the Western people don't want to just immediately buy it all up because it's the coolest looking text. And yeah. honestly, Japanese Kano. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm telling you, Japanese Kano would be the the most hype thing. Like <laughs> Japanese Marvel Kano. If if someone can make that, then let me know. I will. Uh, I will buy that. <laughs> I will uh, buy that. Let him know. His DMs are open. Uh, That's right. <laughs> it's in the name, DM Armada. <laughs> yeah. uh, next question comes from Armor, who asked, what was the experience like going on Shuffle Up and play with the professor? <laughs> oh, that was cool. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Um, that was something that was, I would say, a fairly long time in the making. Um, we had discussed it for a long time. Uh, and not just him and I, but like him and I and a few other people had, had really talked about it a lot. Um, and it was one of those things that was like, okay, it's going to happen. It's the, when is it going to happen? Um, how are we going to best do something like that? Like, what's the best way we can leverage that? Uh, and, and how can we like, what is the best case scenario for it? That sort of thing. And, um, and then just putting all the pieces together, it was, it was a lot of pieces to put together. It was a lot of coordinating schedules. Uh, and trying to find days and ways to get people out there. But once it was actually like in the books and we had everything set up and uh, scheduled out, it was really exciting. And then it came down to like, okay, so what's the point of this? Is it to uh, win? <laughs> For me, it was not to win. <laughs> My point was not to win that event. My point was to make the most exciting and fun game that I could by building the most exciting and weird or fun deck that I could. So I picked Dromai because I figured the most people would uh, be able to interface with it, uh, being like a, a permanence style deck that you can create permanence on the board. And, you know, there's a lot of people that play Magic the Gathering. There's a lot of people that play Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, permanence on the board is like the modus operandi for a lot of games. So I picked that hero uh, because I feel like people would most easily be able to identify and understand what I was doing. Uh, and then I just put a bunch of really pretty dragons in the deck. Literally, <laughs> I got all the marvels so that people would just look at them and go, oh my God, I want that card. I want to know more about that card. And then hopefully really kind of invest in uh, that deck as far as like from a like an intrinsic value perspective so that they could most enjoy it and like want to learn more about the game. That was That was literally why I picked all of the cards that I did. Uh, and also because I like playing with fancy things and I, I own them, so I might as well, right? Well, uh, it was a blast, though. He's he's a great dude. Um, it's always fun hanging out with Kel. Kel's a good friend of mine. Uh, Dalen, that was the first time that I'd gotten to speak with him face-to-face, -face, but we had talked um, online a good bit. And it was just, it was really fun. It was one of those experiences that we finished recording that episode that everyone watched um, maybe like 2 p.m., and uh, after we finished getting all the extra stuff that they needed to uh, put together the absolute best production that I've ever seen in my life for Flesh and Blood, <laughs> uh, after they did all that, uh, Dalen looked over and was like, hey, you want to play another game? And I was like, yes, I do. I want to play another game. So we played a second UPF game. Uh, and then, uh, then we drove to a uh, board game store and we played a third UPF game. 
yeah, we played a lot of UPF in that one single day. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> it was a great experience and but, one that I wish everyone could experience because just getting to hang out for an entire day and play Ultimate Pit Fight with your friends, like one of the best things you can do, straight up. Pretty awesome. And I do appreciate uh, you being such a great ambassador of the game. You know, you, you chose that deck with intent and that, it shows and that's pretty cool. Good, yeah. Uh, next question comes from Coppola, who asks, what do you think would be an ideal product <clears throat> slash card designs to bring in the casual crowd to fab without altering the competitive aspect of the game? And he, he puts in parentheses, uh, that's not PVE. That's not PVE. Okay, cool. Because I wasn't even going to say PVE, because <laughs> I've had this conversation with many people for like a year and more. In fact, I had this conversation with Brian like uh, the professor over in like Vegas. And I had this conversation with a variety of people at LSS. And I stand by this. If, if you want a casual product, here's what you do. You take and you design four or five, I don't care, four or five heroes, brand new heroes. You just design some new characters. Uh, you make them really flavorful to their exact class. So if you want to make a ranger, fine. Make a ranger, but make it do the most quintessential ranger thing you can possibly think of from an outside perspective. I fire arrows. I do the Legolas thing where I shoot like three arrows at it, like that kind of thing, right? Or you want to pick um, a warrior. Make it the most like distilled down essence of warrior you could possibly get. F concentrated like jet fuel of a warrior. This is literally what a warrior looks like in D&D &D or in fantasy games or make that, right? So make four of those or five of those. It doesn't matter. Build pre-con decks that make you feel like that freaking character. Put them in a box set and sell them as a UPF thing. That is 100% the, the only, like, number one product that I think is so sorely needed and would so just be consumed by people that don't play this game uh, to draw in casual players. And uh, if you're, like, a more competitive player, I think that's a product that if you don't, like, just treat with... Um, What's the right word? Uh, if you just just toss it aside and you don't give it the time of day, shame on you. Because that would be the product that would allow you to experience the true feeling of playing the UPF format. More so than just about any other thing that you can do. And I think, honestly, more people need to freaking play UPF. Because that format's so good. I will die on that hill. I've said it in all of the videos that I've made UPF about. Yeah. It's so good. It really so is. And I'm someone who never liked Commander. Hated it, actually. And I love UPF. I'm, I have a blast. So there you go. And, uh, you know, I would, and trust me, I'm very vocal about my hate of Commander. So um. I'm telling you, like, I've said this for over a year and I've talked to, I've talked to my friends about this. I've talked to people at LSS about this. I've talked to larger content creators than me about it. I feel so strongly that that is the direction that like should be taken. Just literally make a box set um of like upf decks or you know even and this and this is an easy thing to do too like community members could do this buy four pre-cons put those in a box take it to your friend's house throw them across the table and uh, tell them you're gonna play game night tonight and here's who you're playing you're playing as a ranger here's who you're playing you're a rune blade it's like a magic night just get over it play it yeah. <laughs> you're, you're, you're playing a woman that reads books there you go there's the woman that reads books um yes she also summons angels congratulations i know it's D, &D night but today we're gonna play D, D with swords that we hit each other with like that <laughs> do it it's so good it's like that's what you should do yeah i mean i totally agree upf i mean it is 
is such a good and it's quick. I feel like it's quick and fast paced, or like it, it has the ability to be, and that's awesome yes. too for anybody who kind of like can't you know sit and do the long games. So you know, and and you're totally within control of, of how you do that too. So uh, next question comes from Plexi, who asked, uh, "What do you think would put Levi over?" I'm a big Levi player, uh, and and it kind of adds, "Is it a new piece of equipment or just a complete uh, kit rework in the new set?" I'm I'm I think it's Personally, I think, and I've said this before, I think with something like flick knives being printed, we can easily print something that also refers to flails and give us something that just buffs up. Hexagore makes it a, a, a more consistent plan. Uh, do you that have any thoughts really on cool. that? Oh, that'd be really cool. I hadn't even thought about that, but that'd be really cool. Yeah, because Hexagore is really good value, but it's just so hard to like maintain without just being absolutely overrun. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's interesting. Um, no, I was so here's the thing, uh, and then I think in like an interview once James said this about Leviah. He said originally, um, all of Leviah's attacks were supposed to be a lot more overstated. They were supposed to push like the the next break point up. So like the ones that push for six were supposed to push for seven. The ones that push for like eight were supposed to push for nine or ten. Like like they were supposed to be really pushed. And thinking about the class, or really the hero from that perspective, it makes total sense why um, she feels underpowered now. Because there is no payoff for playing into Blood Debt. There's just none. Like, the payoff is that your your cards basically do the same damage as non-Blood Debt cards in general. There's, like, some recursion that you can do um, with a couple of cards that allow you to kind of play for the long game. But outside of that... There's no real draw or also no real benefit to playing her over something like Reinar that has um, another effect. And that's because her cards, if they were supposed to be overstatted, would be the inherent benefit. I am playing into blood debt, but also I'm getting to swing 10 for two. Like that kind of sentence makes a ton of sense why you would want to play Leviah. I can I can pitch a single card and then my attack swings for 10, but I'm going to pay for it in the long run by dying. But <laughs> now all of a sudden it's like, okay, I, I can I can pitch a card and I can swing for six. Oh, you're already doing that? Oh, oh, uh, why am I playing this hero? And unfortunately, I feel like that's where she falls. So if it were me, I would say um, revisit exactly the stat lines on your cards because... You have enough yellows and blues and and really even reds at this point that you can make a serviceable deck that functions. But if like they go into the supplemental set and they're like, cool, here's shadow brute cards that swing 10 for like three resources. Um, and there's really no downside except it has blood debt and it's going to get banished at some point. Like all of a sudden you just start playing those and your top end goes way up and you don't really uh, you, you don't really have to change much, I think. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say, and uh, I'm hoping we get some goodies in the next set. So um, we've been waiting, us Leviah players. Now, <clears throat> what's your, Greg, our producer, asks, what's your uh, precious favorite flesh and blood card in your collection? What's your most precious? Sorry. Ooh. Um, I don't know if you can see it. Oh, you can't see it. I have, back way back there, I have this, like, uh, this, this mount that my wife bought me. Uh, it's like a card display thing. And in that is a cold foil Shiana that I opened. And to this day, it is still my most favorite card um, that I've ever opened. Uh, and it is a, it's beautiful, and it is this far away from being a full misprint. 
but it's not. So if I ever wanted to get it graded, it would just come back as like a eight or something terrible because the the centering is so bad that like the bottom like <laughs> black edge is like this thick and the top one is like that. Oh. But they wouldn't grade it as a misprint. I asked around because it's <laughs> not that far off. And so I'm like, ah, crap. So I don't care that much because I'm always going to love that card. Uh, but it would be nice to encapsulate it. So uh, I kind of I'm depressed about that. But it is by far my favorite card. And I love Shiana. And I love that I got to pull one of those in crew first. That's very so. awesome. Now, uh, one of our last questions here comes from Sprocket, who asks, and we, we talked a decent amount about coverage, but asks, aside from anything travel-related, what are the best and worst parts of coverage for you? The best part of coverage? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think the best part of coverage is getting to hang out with uh, the other commentators. Because we get to hang out and we do like we just sit a lot and we like watch the game a lot. And so like here are, you know, three, four other people that are all super into the game of flesh and blood. And we will oftentimes if we, if we have the round off, we'll literally just sit down next to the two commentators that are commentating off camera. Like literally, you've probably watched a stream where, you know, me or someone else is literally like a foot off the camera. They could lean over and just do one of those and like be on camera. We just sit there with each other and we'll lean over quietly and we'll be like, hey, what, what do you think about this moment? Like, who's, who's got the advantage? We'll just talk about the game off to the side. Like, we're doing, like, side commentary. Hanging out with them day in and day out and just doing commentary with them is, is an absolute life-giving experience. And it is, it is one of my favorite moments about it. The worst is when you have to cast a stupid Oldham Fatigue Mirror. Uh. For two hours and lunch got ordered three hours ago and it got delivered halfway through the fatigue mirror and you can see it off camera but you can't have it until the match ends and you haven't eaten anything except like a bagel and a coffee at like 8 15 and I'm speaking from experience on more than one occasion when this exact stupid scenario comes up. And then the guy comes over the headset and is like, hey, there's a judge call. It's going to be about 10 minutes. Go ahead and vamp. In the fatigue mirror, no one needs to call the judge during that match <laughs> except to like end the game for all of our sanity. No, that is, that is the worst experience I've ever experienced. Um, if anyone can find that game, good on you. I, I, we tried our best to make it an enjoyable experience to watch, but the moment that we kicked to break, we ripped off the headsets, threw it off to the side, and just scarfed down whatever lunch was provided <laughs> or like, purchased. We should say we bought it. Like you crash landed a uh, fighter it was jet. And you're awful. Just... I felt terrible because I snapped. I straight up snapped. Oh, the camera cut, and I just. <laughs> <laughs> just go for it that was the worst man people oh. don't realize the need for food sometimes oh yeah Dan, you know what and we're going to talk about some food in a hot second as we close the show steven uh this was a lot of fun thank you so much for coming on it's not lost to me uh when, when folks give me their time and i really appreciate it and i know all the buds are going to enjoy this show because we had a blast talking your wealth of knowledge mm -hmm. and a great ambassador to the game so if you could do one thing for me uh is please uh plug all of your things sure yeah okay so i uh make youtube videos at youtube.com slash dm armada 
Uh, I am on Twitter, most active on Twitter outside of YouTube. Um, on Twitter, I go by Armada underscore DM. I think the other place I'm most active is in Discord. Uh, and that Discord, you can find the link in the description of the videos. It should be functional, and you should be able to just join and hang out. There's a lot of us in there that uh, just kind of hang out and talk, chat. You can talk to me there. Um, you know, I just hang out. It's it's on my phone, so anyone that pops in and asks questions, I just answer them. It's pretty fun. It's pretty chill. Uh, and then, like, there's other ancillary things. You could find me on the Facebooks and the Instagrams and places like that. But, yeah, those are the main ones, I think. Uh, and I do want to say this. You sent me uh, some show notes, and Adam asked this uh -huh. question. He said, <laughs> velocity of an unladen swallow. Oh, I and I don't understand one. the question. African or European? <laughs> oh, yes. I don't know that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I skimmed right over Adam's question. Don't worry, Adam. Don't worry. I got your back. <laughs> that's right. Adam, that's, a, that's an important question. You need to know the, uh, that I know that reference. And then I grew up watching that film. And that freaking flake has never seen that movie. Not surprised. Not surprised. He hasn't seen a lot of classics. I'm disgusted by that man. <laughs> absolutely disgusted. Uh, that, that, uh, oh, our friendship was tested that day. He said that. <laughs> Well, we're going to have to strap him down one day and just feed him some classics. Um, yeah. Now, uh, thank you for all that, too. Uh, you all can continue to find me on Twitter at FreshBudsPod. Join the Discord, the Buds Discord's awesome place to hang out. I love everyone in there. YouTube, uh, like, comment, subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or whatever, you know, give leave a review, like, or rate, or whatever, you know, depending on the 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 place you listen they all have different things you can do and it helps you can get more discoverable uh and uh finally <clears throat> i always like to talk a little bit about food um now uh our, my co-host on the bud rush bellow had a question and it was what's your favorite cookie uh that's because of your last name um cookies Oh um, yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Okay. I see how we're going. I see. I see how it is. So Ooh. I would like to say, Stephen, this is a new, <laughs> a once in a lifetime segment in the show called Cookies with Cookies. So uh, there it is. Okay. So um, cookies. What's my favorite cookie? Like um, type of cookie or from which location? Uh, give Give me both. <laughs> okay. You ready? So type of cookie. It's probably just like a classic chocolate chip. Uh, no, no, I'll change that. Snickerdoodle. Snickerdoodle okay. is delicious. Right. Okay, if you don't know what a snickerdoodle is, anybody on listening, you look up a snickerdoodle and then find a snickerdoodle near you and then you're welcome uh, <laughs> because I've, I've bestowed upon you the knowledge of good and evil and that snickerdoodle is going to change your life. At least it did me. Um, so it's probably one of those two. It's, it's, I'm going to go with snickerdoodle, but just a classic chocolate chip cookie is really good. Speaking of... Um, Chocolate chip cookies. There's an underrated chocolate chip cookie out there. And um, like, okay, so Tiff's Treats is a popular uh, cookie thing. That one's good. That one's like one of the best out there. Uh, if you don't know Tiff's Treats, look it up. But underratedly good. And, and this is a very divisive subject. So I know I'm going to make some people mad. Please forgive me. Hit me. <laughs> Barnes and Noble chocolate chunk cookies. I know someone out there just turned this thing all the way off and yelled an expletive. And I'm so sorry for your loss. Those cookies are good when they're warmed up. I'm just I'm just going to say it like at the the Starbucks within the Barnes and Noble or just they have. OK, yeah, right. Barnes and Noble 
specifically the the Starbucks Barnes and Noble chocolate chip cookies. They don't have them at normal Starbucks. It's just Barnes and Noble. Whatever cafe is in Barnes and Noble, they got some chocolate chip chocolate chunk cookies and a uh, couple of different types of chocolate. Definitely chunky. The, the things are like they're like they're real big. Okay. Uh, yeah, share it. Get one. Share it with your friends. Um, they are quite delicious when warmed up. That is an underrated pick there. So there you go. Oh, man. Here's well, a Cookies with Cookies. <laughs> cookies with Cookies. What a great segment. Now, I am very hungry, and uh, I just checked my watch. Uh, Steven's got to get out of here, and unfortunately, we don't have time for Charmer, so maybe next time, Charmer. Uh, everybody, please have a great week.